be turning to Psalm 61 tonight and uh, preach a message. Maybe, I don't know if it would be preach, teach, or a little bit of both tonight. Uh, but I think we're going to do just a word by word and verse by verse exposition of this psalm. When God seems far away. When God seems far away. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I want you to be praying for Pastor as he prepares to go from Atlanta tomorrow to Tampa, Florida to begin a marriage weekend for the Community Bible Baptist Church in Tampa. And then uh, Brother John was at the same meeting, our church planner, Brother John Vaught, was at the same meeting that Pastor was at today. And in fact, him and Brother Alfred both preached at a national preacher's meeting um, this week. And uh, Brother John's flying from Atlanta to Garden City. And I will actually take a church van there. And uh, he flies in um, Saturday, so I guess he doesn't fly in uh, tomorrow, but he flies in Saturday, and I'll take a church van and drop it off when he flies in at 1.30, and I fly out at 2.30 and go to Kentucky on Garden City, and he'll bring the church van here. And uh, so be praying for the John and Misty. They'll both be here all day Sunday. It'll be a combined Sunday school, and if you haven't had an opportunity to meet the Vots, I'm looking forward to you being able to meet them. I know there are some in here. I can just look at your faces. I know you don't know who they are. Um, but what happened is they came and interned here, just like Mike and Shelby are doing right now, with the intent of potentially sending them out to start a church from scratch, uh, with, from the authority of our church and uh, the support of our church. And so they were here three years and got a lot of hands-on training, a lot of time in the pulpit to preach, and a lot of leadership responsibilities. And then when pastor felt like they were ready, uh, they sent them on deputation that lasted about eight to ten months of going all across the country to like-minded churches like, like ours. And just like missionaries come into our church, they went to other churches and uh, they got support. And, and then they went and started a church literally from scratch. In Scottsdale, Alfred did the same thing th three years before that in Oro Valley, which is in Tucson. Um, and uh, both churches are doing well. The Vots are going to be here to preach all day Sunday uh, in Pastor and I's absence and want to do that for a while and it worked out. So be here. It's going to be a great day. Encourage them. They'll encourage you. And if you don't know them, I hope you'll get around and get to know them on Sunday. And uh, don't forget to be praying for the Amen Conference. That's going to creep up on us pretty close. I had a lady text uh, today. She's eager to start baking cookies for the Amen Conference. And uh, I said, well, you're going to have to hold up just a little bit. I don't know when pastor's going to decide to take that, that head count, but we're going to do that either Sunday night, this coming Sunday night, or, or the next, and he'll just have you raise your hands if you want to bring one, two, or 20 dozen cookies, but I guarantee you they'll get eaten, and so ladies, uh, get, uh, get your ovens ready, get your, your baking skills on, okay? Um, that, we'll need your help here in a week or two, um, and that's when we'll, we'll start doing that. If you're in Psalm 61, say amen. amen. All right. Let's read it together, and then, and then we'll get into study. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Your heart ever been overwhelmed? You ever felt like that? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the cover of thy wings, Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. When God seems far away. I recently read a story about a little boy who greatly missed his father because his father was separated from the family for long time by military duty. The little boy missed his dad. But the boy was comforted by a picture of his dad that sat in a frame on his nightstand. When he was frightened at night, the little boy would stare at that picture and imagine that his daddy, right from that frame, was watching over him. Except for one night, it didn't work. The boy started sobbing. He missed his dad so bad, and the picture in the frame wasn't comforting him, and so his mother's any good mother Wood ran into the room and said, son, what's the matter? She was trying to comfort him. What's wrong? And through tears, the story says the little boy told his mother, I want daddy to come out of the frame. Has that ever been your experience with your heavenly father? You know he's real. You know he's good. 
You know he loves you. You're not turning into an atheist anytime soon. Yet there are times when you just wish God would come out of the frame. You know he's there, it just seems like he's so far away. Like maybe at this point in time or a season in your life, he doesn't hear your cry or see your need or feel your pain. That's why I believe Psalm 61 is put in scripture for us. It is tailored to teach us what to do when God seems far away. If your Bible's like mine, then you'll see where it says Psalm 61 right under that. It's ascribed to David. We don't know when he wrote it, but we're given indication as to why he did. Verse 2 says, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. Verse 4 says, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. These two statements suggest that David is exiled from Jerusalem. And he's exiled from being able to visit and worship in the tabernacle. Commentators, those are real smart guys that know how to study the Bible well. They help guys like me. They assume that David wrote this psalm when he fled from Absalom, his son. You can find that account around the 2 Samuel 18 mark, I believe. Him and his son were actually battling against each other. David had to flee from the palace in Jerusalem. He had, could not go to the tabernacle any longer. And many commentators believe that's when he wrote this psalm. So, so he wrote a prayer in, in the form of a song. He put notes to it, put words to it. And God inspired it in scripture. And his prayer was basically that what seemed like distance from God, he was praying would be transformed into intimacy with God. And in doing so, he teaches us what to do when God seems far away. There are six things I think we can learn for what we should do when God seems far away. Number one, we should cry out to him. When God seems far away, cry out to him. First one says, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. That word cry refers to a loud, piercing scream. The word was most often used to refer to a cry of joy, but, but here it expresses agony. It's an urgent, desperate cry, which to me is another indicator that David doesn't feel in close proximity to God. Who needs to cry with a loud, piercing scream to somebody that they feel close to? Why did David cry? Well, verse 1 has two words that gives us an indicator as to why he was crying with a loud cry. Because he wanted God to hear him and attend to him or listen to him. David's not just merely going through an em empty ritual of saying his daily prayers. This is urgent. He knew that, that it would do him no good just to vent. He knew that it would do no good just to get something off his chest. That would, that would help him feel good immediately, but not in the long run. He's crying with this type of cry because he needs God to hear him. He desires God to listen to him. He needs God to pay attention to what he's saying. And that's what prayer is about. It's not about saying the right words. It's about getting to the right ear. When you cry out to God, it's not about saying the exact right things. In fact, there's not a right and wrong prayer necessarily. Talk to young Christians all the time that are very nervous about praying. For some reason, it's been built into their mind that they have to pray like, like this religious formality type prayer that, that crosses all their theological T's and dots all their theological I's when prayer is just crying out to God. It's getting your prayer to the right Ear. And David was confident, as we should be, that, that when we cry, no matter where we are, no matter how we feel, God does hear. Look at verse 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. Now we're going to study a lot. We're going to get into the Bible, and I'm going to have you look up, and into the Bible, have you look up. What is the ends of the earth? Some think, it, some think it's a, a poetic statement of the fact that David was exiled from Jerusalem. Other thinks it, that, that it refers to Sheol or the grave or the place of the dead. Thus it would be a way of David saying that he was near death. And perhaps when, whenever you are fighting your own son, you do feel like dying. 
But I would argue that the reference is not physical, it's spiritual. David felt distant from God, and he describes the spiritual reality in geographic terms. He says it is as if he has found himself at the most remote part of planet Earth. Not even God is near me. And, and he said, even from the farthest corner of the earth, as alone as I feel, I'm still going to cry out to God. I wonder if that could be the feeling that, that, that some would use tonight to describe their location with God. Like you're on one side of planet earth and God's on the other. Like he's really far away and you almost have to scream to get his attention. Here's the good news. God is omnipresent. Do you know what that means? He's everywhere. That is not made up truth. That is absolute truth. That is part of the all-powerful God that we serve. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. This is part of his character. It's who he is. Here's the good news about that. Even if you do feel like you're on the other end of the earth, on a remote island, distant from God, because he's omnipresent, he is there. Where you go, he goes. You can never cry out or be so far from God that when you cry out, he can't hear you. Even if you feel like you have to cry with a loud, piercing scream to get God's attention, you really don't. Because if you're saved, he's living in you. He's with you. It feels that way, but it's not true. David goes on to say that God doesn't just hear you from the ends of the earth, but he also hears you when your heart is overwhelmed. Look at verse 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. There are times, aren't there, where life circumstances can cause us to have that overwhelming feeling. Overwhelming feeling, I'm not referring to just um, an emotional response to difficult circumstances. It's more than that. I'm talking about total exhaustion. You get me? It's emotional, it's physical, and it's spiritual all combined. Now listen, it's bad enough to feel like you're at the end of the earth. It's a whole other thing to feel like you're at the end of the earth and overwhelmed at the same time. And that's what David is saying. That's where he's at. He's saying, I'm overwhelmed, and at the same time, I feel like I'm isolated on the other side of the earth, far away from God. But even in the midst of how he felt, even in the midst of where he felt like he was in location, he still chose to trust God's listening ear. And cry out to God in those overwhelming stages of life. Notice I said, trust in God's listening ear. Because when your heart is overwhelmed, one of the hardest things to do is pray. Because in our humanity, we often think if God really cared, if God was really close, if God was really concerned, why is he letting me feel this way? We sing what a friend we have in Jesus, but he doesn't feel like a friend right now. And the last thing you want to do is pray. That's when you have to make the choice to trust in the character of God over the circumstances of your life. You have to trust the many scriptures that confirm that he indeed has a listening ear even when it feels like he doesn't. He does have a listening ear. I chose four passages of scripture to prove it to you outside of Psalm 61. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall, what's that next word? Hear my voice. Look at Psalms 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Psalms 38. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. One more. Psalms 34, 17. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth. And delivereth them out of all their troubles. What do you do when God seems far away? You cry out to him. Why? He hears. Even when you're crying out to the person next to you you feel like loves you the most on planet earth, but they're still not getting it, God does. You can cry even with a loud piercing scream. God's there and he hears. Here's the second thing. When God seems far away, run towards his protection. Run toward his protection. Look at the last part of verse 2. Lead me to the rock 
that is higher than I. Verse 3, for thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. So in these two verses, David uses what I feel like are three incredible pictures to describe how God protects his own as they run to him. I want you to study these with me. He, he starts with the image of a rock. God is a rock. Now, now, now here's, here's what we get from this. The image of a rock suggests, watch, both human inadequacy on our part, and at the same time, it affirms divine sufficiency. Let me explain. David needed a rock because he was weak. A rock is strong. It pictures something solid. He's like a shipwrecked sailor in a tumultuous sea. He can't swim to safety. There's no help in sight. His only hope is to get to a rock which he can hold on to, human inadequacy. David also needs the rock to be high, he said. Why? Because he's small. A, a water-level rock provides no safety. The crashing waves would overwhelm him and, and wash him back to sea. He needs a rock that is higher than he is. It goes further. David needs to be led to a high rock. Did you see the prayer? Lead me to a rock that is higher than I? Why? He's blind. He can't see through the storm. He needs an invisible hand to turn the storm, order the ways, and lead him to a rock, high rock. People that are overwhelmed, Miss Virginia, in their heart, people who feel far away from God, they don't see logically. Doesn't matter if their husband or wife tries to help them. They have a hard time seeing and thinking and talking and feeling logic. They need to be led to a rock that is higher than, 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 than them. And that's where David is admitting human inadequacy. But when he says rock... He also suggests divine sufficiency because he uses the definite article. He doesn't pray, lead me to a rock. Lead me to the rock. Who's the rock? It's God himself. It's not a drug. That's a pebble. It's not a drink. That's a pebble. It's not a pill. That's a pebble. It's not a cigarette. That's a pebble. It's not sex, that's a pebble. It's not pornography, that's a pebble. It's not spend, a spending spree on Amazon, that's a pebble, or a lot of pebbles. The rock is Jesus Christ. 22 times in the Psalms, God is called a rock. In Psalm 62 alone, in verse 2 and 6, he's called a rock. In verse 7, he's called a rock. I love singing the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is seeking sand. All other ground is seeking sand. What a great image of the God that we can run to when we feel like he's far away. He's solid. But then he goes on in verse 3 and says he's a shelter. You could also say a refuge. This would have been a place of safety from danger. In ancient times, they literally called it a panic room. It was a safe house where one fled to escape the advancing enemies. And this is our God. You, you might recognize this verse in Psalms 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. You recognize that verse? That, that, that verse is a testimony of corporate deliverance. God is our refuge and strength. But Psalm 61 is a testimony of personal deliverance. David says, for thou hast been a shelter, not for us, for me. David said, you are my shelter. You're my panic room. You're my hideout. You're my tornado shelter. You're my basement. You're, you want to protect me. When I can't keep myself safe, you will. It makes me think of, of the stepping stone shelter that we have in town. I appreciate places like that a lot, especially when I drive around town and I think I would see people walking in this weather today. I see Brother Mark, an officer, I know that you see that a lot as well. And my heart goes out to people that have to walk in this weather, ride their bike in this weather. God forbid, have to sleep in this weather. And I complain if it's a little cold in my house. Are you hearing me? I'm thankful we have a shelter like that where people can run to. I, my, my wife volunteers for the Domestic Rape Violence Center. Um, and they have a safe house. 
for ladies that have been abused, to keep them safe from their abuser for, for a number of days, a shelter. for them. I'm thankful for places like that. I'm grateful for that. That's the picture David's painting of God. When you're enemy, when you're abuser, when you're accuser, when the father of lies is attacking you and saying, God is not your friend, he's nowhere near you, he's given up on you, he doesn't hear you, now he's a shelter, he's a refuge. But then he calls him a strong tower. Now this is interesting because a strong tower serves the same purpose as a refuge, it's, it's, it, it's, it's protection, but there is a difference. Listen, a refuge is where you turn for safety when the enemy chases you out of the city. A strong tower is where you turn for safety when the enemy attacks the city. A strong tower was a place of defense built onto the wall of the city. The watchman would stand guard in the strong tower. And so when the enemy attacked, the strong tower was this strategic battle station where you could reach the enemy without the enemy reaching you. A refuge was a safe place to hide. A strong tower was a safe place from which to fight. And this is our God. Which one is he? Is he a shelter or is he a tower? Yes. He's both at the same time. Proverbs 18.10 confirms the name of the Lord is a strong tower. We sing this song. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. What's David's point? Here it is, don't miss it. When God seems far away, don't run from him. Run to him. He has credibility. He's our rock, he's our shelter, he's our tower. He protects us from every possible angle with those three forms of protection. Running from God is dangerous. Running to God is safe. Ask the prodigal son. Ran from the father, what did he get? Brokenness, loneliness, depression, regret. Ran back to the father, what did he get? A robe, a ring, a stake, a position back in the father's house. Before you run from God, consider what you're running to. And ask yourself this question. Is what I'm running to a better alternative than what I'm running from? If God is a rock, a shelter, and a tower, is running to sex better than that? Is running to depression and isolation in my house from God's people, is that really better than a tower, a shelter, and a rock? Is running to a drug or a drink or any form of coping mechanism better than a rock? A tower and a shelter? I don't think so. I get the human tendency to want to run to those things. But before you let emotions overwhelm you and dictate your direction, consider who you're running from and what you're running to. And they don't compare. They don't compare. All right, there's two things. When God seems far away, you cry out to him. When he seems far away, you run towards the protection. Here's number three. When God seems far away, rest in his presence. There are two ways in which you can rest in God's presence according to verse 4. Corporately and individually. Look at verse 4. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. Look up here. What was the tabernacle? This is where the Lord met with his people. Before the temple was erected, which Solomon was able to build. You remember that? The tabernacle was the mobile house of God. You get what I'm saying? The one that, that Moses was instructed to set up in Exodus. Do you remember it? Give me some feedback. Okay? And, and he gave all those details about it. And they would pick up shop, and they would go and set it up, and they would, they, they would follow the pillar of fire by night the, and the cloud by day, right? Well, well, David desired to meet with God corporately in his tabernacle. And he even said that. It was his heart in Psalms 27.4. One thing he says. Put it up there, Dustin. Did I give you that verse? Maybe I didn't. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. That was David's heart. I want to be with God's people. I want to be in God's tabernacle. And let's, let's just be honest. There is something incredibly special about experiencing the presence of God in God's house. 
Isn't there? I mean, you can experience God's presence anywhere because you are a New Testament believer and God is living in you. And I'm thankful for that, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But resting in God's presence inside of God's house with God's people is uniquely refreshing to our spirit. If you apply yourself. I mean, where else can you experience the presence of God ministering to your heart during the music service than right here in the house of God? You don't get that in your living room. You don't get a 60-voice choir in your living room. You don't get to sing with 400 people in your living room. Where else can you experience the presence of God during the clear preaching of God's word from this pulpit than right here, the house of God? You can watch it on TV, but it ain't the same. Where else can you experience the presence of God through fellowshipping with the people of God than right here in God's house? Where else can you experience the presence of God through, through humble prayer and confession and repentance at an altar? Then right here at God's house, that's why when God feels far away, one of the first places you need to go is the house of God. But people, when they need it the most, come to it the least. And there's Siri again. Were you here on Sunday night when you heard that? Come on, Steve, we got to get that figured out. In all seriousness, where have you been? Oh, just not feeling it. Well, I wasn't feeling it last Sunday either. I had to get up and lead worship. Hey, where have you been? Oh, life's just tough right now. Where have you been? I'm just in a funk. When you're in a funk, you need God's house. When you're not feeling it, you need God's house. And that doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute up here, does it? Because we listen, our, our mind sinks down about 18 inches to our heart. And it begins telling us what to do. And it's easier and it feels better when we're in a spiritual funk or relational funk or emotional funk. To just stay away from corporate worship. When that is the opposite of what our spiritual life needs. The opposite. We've got to be careful about that. What do you do when God seems far away? You get into his presence corporately, even when you don't feel like it. And, and then here's what you do. You, you seek his, present, his presence intimately. Look at the last part of verse 4. I will trust in the covered of thy wings. So, so a mother bird would permit her babies to eat and, and play in an open space, but when she saw a predator or a storm coming, she would call her babies to herself. I got on YouTube and watched this happen. It's, it, it, it's actually pretty cool. As they fled to the mother bird, she would open up her wings and they would hide under the shelter of her wings. And this is the picture David's giving us of God. It's how he watches over us. But it's not just in Psalm 61. It's in Psalm 17. Look at this verse. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of of thy wings. Look at Psalms 57 in verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. One more, Psalm 61 in verse 4. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. See, the one we just read, this is a prayer God always answers. A mother bird, this is good news, a mother bird will not refuse to open her wings to her children in time of trouble. She'll never say there's not room. A mother doesn't do that. And this is one of the only references in Scripture where God is likened unto a mother, not a father. Because there is something uniquely intimate about a mother's love for a child. That a father, I'm sorry guys, cannot give. A God will not turn, just like a mother will, will not turn his children away when we seek to rest underneath his wing. And underneath his wing is perhaps the most intimate place you can be with the Lord because it's the closest you can be to him, tucked in under his safe place. It's almost, and I don't want to be, uh, I don't know how to say it. I, I'll just say it. It's like you're snuggling next to God. It's what your kids need when they're two and three and four and five and six and they get scared when there's storms outside. They need their mother close. They don't need their mother clear across the house saying, get over it. Right? At some point they need to learn to get over it. I'm trying to teach my nine-year-old that. He can't come under the wing every night. Every time he hears wind, we're in southwest Kansas, son, it's going to happen. 
but, but it impresses me how generous my wife is with her wings. And that's how generous God is with his wings. It's amazing. And, 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 and God invites us to that intimate place. But, but to the contrary, here's what happens. We're often exposed to unnecessary storms. You know why? Because we choose not to run under his wings. And I have proof of it in scripture. Look at this verse, Matthew 23, 37. Jesus is talking, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Could you imagine a baby hen turning down the shelter of a mother's wing during a life-threatening storm? That is absurd. And it's equally as absurd for a child of God to run from the shelter of his wing during the storms of our life. When the wind is howling and the rain is pouring and the lightning is striking and the thunder is roaring, here's what you need to do. Find his wing. Find a private place with God, an intimate place with God. They're open. They're just open, ready for you to come and rest beneath. Here's the fourth thing. Acknowledge his faithfulness. Verse number five, for thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Please keep following along. I know it's hard work to listen, but you're doing well. This is the second time David mentions hearing in this psalm. In verse one, David asks God to hear him. In verse five, David acknowledges that God has heard him, but note the distinction. In verse 1, he asked God to hear his cry. Here in verse 5, he says God has heard his vow. What's a vow? It was a promise that would often accompany a prayer for deliverance. Some insincere worshipers of David's day would use vows as a crafty negotiation tactic with God. But sincere worshipers like David made vows as a statement of faith. Faith that with confidence that, that, that God would answer their prayers, they would vow to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving when the prayer was answered. In the latter part of verse 8, we'll study it in a moment, David de determines to perform his vow. But here, he states his confidence that God will do his part. The very fact that God has heard his vow was all the proof David needed to trust in the faithfulness of God. And he builds on this thought. What David says next in the verse indicates how God's faithfulness would be demonstrated in his life. It would be demonstrated exactly how it was demonstrated for his fellow Jews who feared God's name. Did you see the last part of verse 5? Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Don't, don't, don't let me lose you here. The fear of God brings blessings. Those who fear or reverence the name of God receive a heritage which refers to the benefits of being in covenant with God. It is the spiritual inheritance of God's people. In this day, here's what it meant. The promised land of Canaan. This is the faithfulness of God. Those who feared God's name received that heritage, that land from the Lord. Psalms 37, 11 says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now, how does this apply to our lives when God feels far away? Watch this. Our tendency when God feels far away is to only think about what he hasn't done for us. And we fail to acknowledge all the ways in which he's already been faithful to us and will continue to be faithful to us. David claimed his heritage. He says, I'm not focusing on what God has withheld from me. I am going to choose to focus on the heritage that God has laid up in store for me. Now, we don't get to claim that same heritage. We don't get to claim the promised land in terms of physical land on earth. But as New Testament believers, I submit to you, we have a greater heritage. We get to claim a greater inheritance according to Colossians chapter 1, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partaker of the, sorry, I spelled that wrong, of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us unto the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Even a tired Wednesday night crowd can say amen to that heritage. Here's the point. God's been faithful to forgive you and redeem you and give you an inheritance of eternal life that is waiting on you. Therefore, when God feels far away, stop for a minute or two and acknowledge that he is still faithful. 
acknowledge that if he was faithful to save your soul, and if he was faithful to redeem you, then he was faithful to forgive you, and he's faithful to lay up an inheritance of eternal life in heaven for you, then he can take good care of you right now. We can't trust God for our eternity and fail to trust him on earth. It doesn't make sense. If you can acknowledge, I mean, if you can trust him to keep you out of the fires of hell, and I trust if you're saved tonight, you are trusting him for that, then you can trust him for whatever is causing him to feel far away from you right now. Yeah. Here's the fifth thing. We're moving on. Rely on his promises. Rely on his promises. Look at verse 6 and 7. That will prolong the king's life, and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. Now, this part of the psalm, at least to me, at first seemed to be disruptive. And kind of out of nowhere. Now, I'm a music guy. And it bugs me when people write a song, and then all of a sudden there comes this bridge. And it's like, you didn't have to put that in there. It makes no sense melodically. Hardly makes sense lyrically. Why did you ruin the song with that part? And there are actually some songs that we sing as a congregation that I've taken bridges out of. You don't even know there, uh, there's a bridge that exists unless you, you've heard it, some singer sing it, or something like that. That's how I feel about this, this part of the song. Uh, what makes this complex to me is that in verse 6 and 7, David shifts from the first person to the third person. So as a result... What we often do with psalms like this is we turn to the verses that we understand for help and strength and we skip over the ones we don't understand. Am I the only one that does that? But to do that is to actually rob ourselves of what I think is an integral blessing of the psalms. we got to get past the abrupt transition David makes and we got to listen to what he says. Because these complex verses, I think, show us what it means to trust the promises of God, and we see that in how David prays for himself and then beyond himself. Did you notice David basically said, prolong the life of the king? Who is the king? David. Now, this would be a fundamental request of the people. They would pray this for the king. It would be natural because um, as the life of the king goes, so goes the stability of their nation. God preserve our king, right? But David prays this for himself, and I want you to know that's actually okay. I believe David comes from a place of humility. My question is, how can he drop down to verse 7 and suggest that, that the years of a king endure forever or for many generations? No human king lives forever. What, did, what is David doing? Follow this. He's praying beyond himself. Okay, let me dig a little deeper. Look at the screen, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 13. Put it up there, Brother Dustin. 2 Samuel, thank you. He's going to refer to a promise. This is when God told him, no, he couldn't build the temple. And we studied this in fellowship Bible classes several, several weeks ago. How to respond when God says no and disappoints you. Here's what David says. He shall build a house for my name. This is a promise, a covenant from God. And God is telling David through Nathan the prophet, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God made a covenant with David that he would establish his throne forever. And watch here. This promise was ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Luke chapter 1. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. Next verse. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father who... And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. David trusted that God would keep his promise. That's where this part of the song comes from. It comes from a promise in 2 Samuel, I believe, chapter 8, or, 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 or 7, rather, where God made that promise. And Luke chapter 1 had not been fulfilled yet when David wrote Psalm 61. David was claiming this promise that God told him Months or years ago, 
And it came to mind when God felt far away. So he said, I got to recall what God told me, even when I don't feel like it. He promised me that my kingdom will endure forever for many generations. And, and sure enough, Jesus is the ultimate proof that God is a keeper of his promises. When God feels far, far away, listen to me, church. Find a promise in his word. Find it. That means you got to get in his word. If you need help finding a promise, go to one of our deacons. Go to one of our ministry staff. Go to a seasoned Christian in our church that you know walks with God and say, would you help me get two or three or four promises in Scripture? For crying out loud, it's the age of information. Ask Google. Just type in promises of God and you'll get a lot to pick from. And when you find a promise of the Word of God, write it out. Type it out. Make it the wallpaper of your computer or your phone. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Put it on your mirror where you get ready every single morning. Memorize it. Hide it in your heart because you're going to need it. When you feel far away from God, you cannot trust what your feelings are telling you. You must trust what the promises of God has already told you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. One of my favorite promises in the Bible. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can't say that of myself, but God said that of himself. And for a guy like me that is moody and unpredictable, I need to trust in a God who promises he's never moody or unpredictable. I am God, he says, I change not. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved out of my salvation for over 10 years. That's the promise that I claimed over and over and over. God, you said if I called upon your name, and I remember doing that as a seven-year-old boy, though I don't remember what I said, I never was told the date, I don't even remember if I really meant it or not. All I know is I knelt at my daddy's bed and I called upon the name of the Lord the best I knew to get saved, and I claimed that promise over and over and over, and the more I claimed that promise, the smaller the doubt got, and now I live in blessed assurance of my salvation. Because I've learned to claim a promise of God. And you need to find a promise that, that is consistent with what you're going through and, and what is triggering that emotional response from you, that depression and discouragement and distance from God. You need to find that promise, memorize that promise, claim that promise in your life over and over and over or else you'll start believing your heart. You'll start believing the lies of the devil. You've got to drown his voice out with the voice of God. You've got to. We all right? Give you one more. When God feels far away, praise his name. Maybe the one that makes the least amount of sense in some ways. Look at verse 8. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Did you notice the song, the psalm, begins with lamentation? A loud, piercing scream. A cry. I'm overwhelmed. But how does it end? Celebration. Begins with lamentation. Ends with celebration. And what is the first word of verse 8? So. So. This little word, watch. It binds prayer and praise together. Grateful praise is the appropriate response to answered prayer. Watch what Augustine said. It's brilliant. They that are godly are oppressed and vexed in the church or congregation for this purpose. That when they are oppressed, they should cry. And when they cry, that they should be heard. And when they are heard, that they should praise God. That's what's happening in this psalm. David was oppressed. He felt far away from God. What did he do? He cried out to God. He was heard by God. And because he was heard, he chose to shift from crying to praising. Sometimes this will be the pattern of our life during hard seasons of our life. You will wake up crying. By God's grace, you might go to bed praising. But you'll wake up and cry again. By God's grace, you'll go to bed praising again. But you'll wake up crying again. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, you'll shift to praising. But by 12 o'clock, you're crying again. And if you're not physically crying in your heart, you're crying of stress and anxiety and worry. It's not always tears, but a lot of times it is. Have you ever found yourself in that cycle? It's called being overwhelmed. It's called not being able to get on top of things. God's when this cycle, when is this cycle going to end? 
David says, so I will ever sing praises to your name. Listen, he had to choose to not stay in the stage of crying. That cycle may persist for weeks, and it may persist for months. I've battled real-life depression two times in my life. I cannot just sympathize, but I can empathize with what it means to want to lock yourself in a dark room and not see anybody. I can empathize with that. I've felt that before. At some point, you've got to choose to stop crying and start praising. You might start crying again, and that doesn't make you a lesser person, but you can't stay in the crying stages. You've got to get and persist through to the praising stages, even if you return back to the crying stages, and get out and persist through to the praising stages. And if you praise enough, you'll cry less. Are you hearing me? It's, it's a point of praise that sometimes you literally have to Act your way to a feeling. And if you return to that cry, it's okay. Don't stay there. Don't feel like, oh, this is never going to end. Just keep pulling yourself out of that crying stage and persisting through to when you get to that praise stage. And I want to have a couple more observations from this verse and I'll be done. David says, so will I ever sing praises to your name. The answer to David's prayer hadn't even come yet. But he predetermines his response. In fact, he discerns his response before his prayer even ends. When God answers, I will sing praise to his name. David was a skilled musician. Probably a great instrumentalist and singer. But he wasn't going to praise God because he liked to sing. He was going to praise God because God heard him. And in God's time and in God's way, God was going to answer him. And I believe that answered prayer should always result in praise, whether you can sing or not. David adds onto his praise the performance of his daily vows. That's how he closes. A vow in that day was to be paid by offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving. The performance of a vow was an act of worship. The presentation of an animal sacrifice communicated to the people of God that worship ought to cost you something. And David wasn't, he wasn't just going to pray and ask. He was going to do. He was going to sing praises to God and he was going to perform his vow. He was going to pay the cost even when he felt far away from God. David refuses here to offer muted worship to God. He wasn't just going to go lay his, all, his offering on the altar. God had been too good to him. He was going to sing his way to the altar. He couldn't help but sing praises to God's name. And I would submit to you that the Lord has been too good for us, or to us, for us to come to church and offer muted worship. Us to lay our, perform our vows toward our holy God with a bad spirit. Got to sing praise to his name. Did you notice the time reference in verse 8? So will I sing praise unto thy name forever. This is a lifetime commitment. This isn't on the mountaintop, this is in the valley too. This isn't when he's rich, it's when he's poor too. It's not when he has his, his family all together. No, he was estranged from his family at this point. It's even when family relationships stink. He's determined he wasn't going to stop singing praises to the Lord. Hebrews 13, 15. I'm hastening to a close. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Study the word continually in the Greek. It literally means through it all. Through it all. Sometimes we feel like singing. Sometimes we don't. But our praise should not be determined by how we feel at any given moment. It should be based on two life-changing acts of God. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, and he rose from the dead to give you new life, eternal life, and abundant life. Such amazing grace should cause you to praise God through it all. Close with this statement. When God seems far away, praise him anyway. That's how David closes his song. I'm just going to praise him anyway. I'm going to praise him before the answer comes. I'm going to praise him before the emotions come, before the feeling comes. I'm going to praise him through the funk. I'm going to praise him through the storm. I'm going to praise him through the wind. I might cry again tomorrow, but I'm going to persist to praise. I might cry again the next day, but I'm going to persist to praise. When God feels far away, cry out to him. Run toward his protection. Rest in his presence. Acknowledge his faithfulness. 
Rely on his promises and praise his name. Sing this with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. my favorite verse of it, and it's not in the hymn book, and it's the easiest to memorize. Praise God, 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 praise God. God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. I know tonight some of you are going through a time when you feel like God would just come out of the frame. You believe in him, you love him. In your heart you know he's good. Some circumstances in your life are contradicting with what you know is true about God. And it's hard. It's hard to feel like God's close during those times. And so, let's just have a couple minutes to do business with God. 